stream the show on demand at KetchikanRadio.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to the First City Forum, brought to you by Providence Properties in Southeast Alaska Orthopedics. I'm your host, the one and only Joe Williams, and today we have Straight Talk with Rachel Brightop. Hello, Rachel. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing all right, Joe. I feel like folks really wish they had just heard the story that you just told me, and and maybe we'll get there. (laughs) Maybe we'll get there. I I know I'm going to enjoy whatever comes, um, but that was a good one already. I think I've actually told that story on the air. Have you told that story on the air? Uh, Maybe, but we we will definitely tell it again. Rachel, so for those just tuning in with us for the first time this Thursday, Straight Talk with Rachel Breithaupt is a segment we do every Thursday where Rachel and I, we just like to get on here and just talk about the things that are bothering Mm -hmm. us, and you know what? It's always a great time. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it reminds me of uh, of uh, of the Grinds My Gear show on Family Guy. Oh, my goodness. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't. Here's my, oh, I know, Rachel. here's my thing. I have this bizarre experience with um, media where I get nervous about new shows because what if I don't like it? Or what if I like it so much that it takes hours and hours and hours of my life from me? So Family Guy would do that. Exactly. Like, I know there's lots of shows out there that I've just never seen because I I am addicted to television when it hits me. I mean, I so what I do is I watch the same stuff. I'm so boring. I watch the same stuff over and over and over and over again. Now, Family Guy is not new, though. It's like 20 years strong. Yeah, same deal though. <laughs> same deal though. Same same thing. Oh, have I not seen it yet? We're cool. But you know why I didn't start watching Family Guy is because twenty years ago I was deep in Christianity. Oh, there I was we go. Deep in evangelical conservative Christianity. You know, I could see it. I could see it. I was deep into it. And so, you know, that was the time where we were being encouraged to throw away secular CDs. We weren't yeah. even supposed to listen to music that wasn't Christian. Like lots of people have experiences in the church. There's a whole spectrum of like religious and spiritual experiences. And I, I think there's this huge number of Americans, certainly worldwide, where people have a cultural Christian experience. They it, it informs the seasons of their life. It informs the schedule of their week. It might inform some amount of uh, a daily schedule. Oh, we pray before dinner or, you know, you pray with your parents before bedtime. But a lot of people just it's 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 kind of a, a pleasant, almost bland experience. And I'm such a passionate human that mm. I didn't know how to just kind of sit on the top of religion. And so very, very quickly, I got deeply involved in evangelism in concepts of heaven and hell and salvation. And I got really emotionally involved in this idea that if I didn't, if I, if I, if I quote unquote knew the truth and I wasn't sharing it with people and the consequence of me not sharing was them burning in hell forever, Mm -hmm. that, that I'm sending people to hell. I took personal, very deeply, deeply personal responsibility. And it was, um, emotionally distressing to say the least <laughs> for no. many many years and one of the things that it did was it edited a, a lot of media where I, I was just like oh but god wouldn't like if i watched that i mean i, I used to pray about clothing yes. <laughs> and some of that is you know i mean some no of, but this is this is real life though yeah 
And some of that's the patriarchy, so right? That, like, ever, I'm responsible for all men, all male action, right? Have I ever told you the story about how I had to sneak my first Harry Potter viewing experience? No! Okay, so you're, so this whole story that you've been telling, you're basically my mother. <laughs> this is, this is the, the, the life I, I, I grew up in. Uh, so my mother, when I was a very young child, bought me a Harry Potter t-shirt. I don't think she knew what Harry Potter was. So during, so when I would, uh, I love this t-shirt, I would wear it all the time. So when Harry, the Harry Potter movie started to come out, I wanted to watch Harry Potter. She's like, no way. This is witchcraft. Right. There are demons mm-hmm. and this and that and the other. So for like five years, I could never watch Harry Potter. So one day I'm at the corner store on my uh, street, right? And they have the Harry Potter double disc set on sale for like $20. And I had just gotten my allowance. So I buy this Harry Potter double disc set and I hide it in my room for weeks and weeks and weeks until my mom goes on vacation. You were oh, yes. biding your time. Oh, yes. And then my mom goes on vacation. I pop this Harry Potter double disc set in when I'm alone. I think I may have uh, faked a sickness or something. So I was home alone from school. So I, cause I have lots of siblings oh. who are all tattletales. So so <laughs> I was I was alone. I was levels alone. of intrigue. Oh yeah, I was at home alone somehow, some way, and I popped this double disc set into the DVD player, and I enjoyed that Harry Potter experience. And you never and read it the was books. Just, I had never read the books. I wasn't allowed. I had never seen the movie. I wasn't allowed. You, do you remember the uh, the television show Charmed? Yes. So my mother and I, we would watch Charmed together for like a year before she got the sudden revelation that oh. Charmed was evil. Mm. So then mm-hmm. I'm watching Charmed. I'm in love with Charmed. I've gotten my godmother involved, my great-grandmother involved, my mother. We, we're, we're all loving Charmed. Then Big one fans. day, all of a sudden, I can no longer watch Charmed. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? I yeah. can't watch Charmed. Charmed is my life, right. mother. Like if God's really serious about this and he told you, why wouldn't he also tell me? Like, you know what I mean. Why, you know what I mean. Charm. Why would, why would charm you get this message? And I wouldn't so, get this message. So I don't watch Charm for like two years, right? And then one day on the radio, I hear spoiler spoiler alert that Prue died. They they announced it on the radio that Prue died. I, I was on my way to my godmom's house when this happened. Prue's dead. I literally was devastated. And this was, of course, back before there was TiVo or, oh, yes. or Hulu no, no. or Netflix oh, yeah. or anything you where not, you could just go into the catalog. You could never see this thing again. No, it's over for you. You could, you could see it once and maybe they would play a rerun. Maybe. 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 But if you don't I, catch it, you don't catch it. I didn't see the episode where Prue died for 10 <laughs> years, Rachel. Oh, my God. <laughs> ten, ten and years. I'm now imagining like you setting yourself up for ten the episode years. where Prue dies. You're like, here we go, guys. 10 years. And exactly. one day I was on TNT because uh, TNT would play two episodes of Charmed every morning morning uh tnt and the episode sh- was was going to play within like the next week i recorded that episode and when i finally watched it i literally sat there with my snack and i cried oh, like a baby Joe. rest in peace prue you were the best charmed one the power Ooh. of three will set us free oh <laughs> yeah there was a lot of there's a lot of strange like ideas around what's evil what's not evil i mean and and anybody you know, any there are absolutely reasonable limitations to what you decide to put inside your brain. Definitely, I, I don't watch horror movies, and that's at this point I'm an atheist, and that's okay. I have no 
probably I don't believe like the devil exists, so I don't think like there's the devil in those movies. But there's like, do so, there's I something think, to be said about about the the psychological effects. Exactly. Of like, them. do I think I want to have to see the images or relive them? No. Like, I, I don't want to feel that way. I actually really don't. Um, I don't really like Roseanne. Like episodes of Roseanne Bar, just very unpleasant. I'm like, oh, everyone's fighting. Nobody really seems to like each other. It's just you don't love that 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 dirty couch. I used to watch it as a kid, and I think I watched it as a kid. Sort of the same reason I watched a lot of TV as a kid, which was just because that I was addicted to TV, and it's like what was on. Um, But no, when I have you know now, I have opportunity to all of the streaming. You can get any show now in its full catalog, and I'm not drawn to these shows where. People are arguing constantly or um, they just don't seem to like each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't understand wanting to ingest that. I I, w- I liked Roseanne and not because of Roseanne, because I hate a nasally high pitched voice. It drives me insane. Yeah. Roseanne Barr, Fran Dresner, I cannot do it. But I did love DJ, DJ Tanner's uh, brown crinkly hair. DJ Tanner's bro- oh from Full House. No, oh, DJ Tanner. Am I thinking of the? the oh my gosh, I'm so I'm I mixing up mixing different up shows. Nineties. No, kids no. Stuff DJ right now. DJ was Roseanne's daughter with a brown cr- with a brown crinkly hair, and she always oh. wore the really baggy clothes. But it's not Tanner. It's not the Tanner. Tanners are Full House. DJ Connor. Connor. Gosh, I could be making this whole thing up. I don't even know. But anyways, the the one with the brown crinkly hair and Mm -hmm. the baggy clothes. I don't Mm -hmm. know her name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. I loved her. I thought she was edgy. I thought she was cool. I thought she had a certain je ne sais quoi. It's true. It's true. It's true. And it was nice at that time in our lives to try to find teenagers that were like reasonably bad. Yes. Not super bad. But just, but just a little like edgy. You know what I mean? Bad, you know, so it's not because Full House was too squeaky. It, it was just too sweet and clean. And, and there was the I remember being an elementary schooler and hating the musical summation at the end of every Full House episode. There's a talk and there's music playing and then they hug. And I remember being like, this is cheesy. And, and I was in sixth grade. And it's, you know, and it's terrifying, honestly. Grade. It's like bone-chillingly terrifying. <laughs> Have I ever told you how the X-Files theme song okay, I love. scared me so badly as yeah. a kid? Yeah. It, okay, so it yeah. came X-Files on all the scary. time right before my nap. Mm-hmm. And literally when the X-Files theme song would start to, to, to play, I'd be filled with anxiety and I would just get goosebumps and chills every time. Um, X-Files stands up. It's a great show. It's a great show to this day. That's actually an example of a show where it's a titch bit scary, but because it's like science fiction-y, I'm really in. Um, I, but to be fair, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, mm. like will, I will live and die by Star Trek Next Generation episodes. If you wanted to give me like one show um, that informed uh, my psyche, it, it's Star Trek Next Generation. You know, I've never seen X-Files, but the show that I loved growing up from that era, my grandmother and I would watch it every day or whenever it, it came on. Xena Warrior Princess. Really? Z- I- <laughs> 
And you know what? I could not tell you today what any of those episodes those were episodes about. I was a little about. kid, but I loved it. I loved Xena's crazy loud battle cry. I loved the costumes. I loved the big old stick that Gabrielle dragged around and beat people with. It was great. The costumes are stunning. <laughs> they really are stunning. And This Hercules. reminds me of, um, so last week we started and then stopped ourselves because we said we need a whole episode for this. Um, we started and stopped ourselves from talking about dating as a as a young Christian kid. Uh, let's do, let's do we want to do? I let's feel like now's it. the time. We, we're already talking let's about how these religions influenced even what we were allowed to we're watch, their- let alone who you were supposed to like. Exactly. Oh, and I, I didn't even mention how I had to hide my Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh card collection. That's not shocking to me because if you if if Harry Potter's off the table, then please. Like I literally cut a hole into my brother's mattress because we had bunk beds, and I stuffed the cards into a hole in his mattress. <laughs> What I love about you are the workarounds. You're oh like, yes. Oh, I'll figure out. Oh a yes. Way. I I was an ingenious young psychopathic child. I really was. I really was. I I'm actually impressed at the things I used to, to do as a, as a kid. And I think often that if I ever had a child, look out world. Oh because my goodness. Who knows? Who oh knows? my goodness. Do we need that to no, continue? That, so this is why I will not. <laughs> I am the ultimate. <laughs> that, there is none this, after this me. This cannot happen again. It does not need to. <laughs> we we to. may not survive. There's no improving on this there's no improving on this let's just stop now we'll just stop while we're ahead okay so dating as a christian kid yes dating as a christian kid was very complicated um it once again full disclosure or or i should say to couch this issue so many people grew up in church and did not take in these kinds of messages in a way that was debilitating. Definitely. Lots of people successfully dated Christians and non-Christians and, you know, whether they chose to have premarital sex or not, they didn't carry huge weights of guilt, of just misery Mm -hmm. with whatever their choice was. Um, But I did. I I carried huge amounts of guilt. Same Z's. Huge amounts of guilt. And, And I can imagine... Oh it's yeah. Additionally complicated. Oh yeah. If you're not like a happily heterosexual kid. Oh yeah. Growing up in Christian. It's very deep. It's very deep. We're going to talk about all of this. I'm, okay. I'm very excited. So, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know about who didn't go like real deep down um into the evangelical Christian world is that there's like whole classes and books and seminars about ke- keeping kids virgins till they're married uh, through a number of means, but also informing them, and maybe the word misinforming is better, about how they'll know who they're supposed to be with, what good relationships look like, um, what good sexual relationships look like. And uh, one of the um, classes that a a very um, intense experience I had as a youth was uh, – we actually took uh, True Love Waits, mm. which in the title, I think you can hear the heaviness of what was being conveyed to us. So real love um, meant that, you know, depending on how far you wanted to take it, some people didn't kiss until they were literally at the altar. Oh, yes. Like that was a whole movement. It oh, was yes. like nobody, you didn't kiss the person until you were like at the altar marrying them and then you could kiss them. Some of, some of, my, some of my friends who I respect very much. Sure. This is this is the life that they're currently living. And it living. doesn't like I don't want to say that it doesn't work for anybody. Cuz it can work. Uh, you know, I just it, think that it's similar to the um 
the the say the just say no campaign mm-hmm. that once we look back on those very well meaning efforts, we see that actually anybody who went through the the just say no in fact had higher rates of drug use. Oh yes. than people who got just like either nothing or uh, very scientific explanations of like what dr- what drugs are and what they would do to you. Yeah, and there are those who 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 go through all of these things. They have very successful marriages, but it's almost like uh, this is what worked for for me. And if you don't try it, you're you're, you're going to go to hell. Well, and the hard, the really difficult thing, of course, is that they've got God's name stamped on it. So it, it would be one thing entirely if there were. Um, if it was an organization not claiming to be informed by the highest of all powers um, and simply saying, hey, this is what we think is the best idea. Um, There's certainly lots of different parenting classes and positive parenting discipline is is one that um, Ben and I have been looking into recently just as Abe continues to grow and we face new changes, changes with challenges with his behavior. So certainly there's a lot of different organizations out there that are going to say, hey, we've got good stuff here. Come and listen to us. It's just that an organization saying we have what God wants. Like God wants you to do this. We have we have we have what God wants you to do. All of a sudden, it's very difficult to argue. And there's a lot of guilt if you don't go. Mm -hmm. So just the fact that there, you know, there were families that did not bring their teenagers to this program. I mean, I remember being like, well, where's Noah? Like, I guess out he there hasn't been. Sex. I guess he's out there having <laughs> sex and not listening to God. So then we're in this class, and my parents are there. We, we have to take this class with our parents, and they're telling us all these things about, like, you know, if you have sex with more than one person, like, sex is like glue on your hand and glue on their hand, and they press the super glue hands together. And then if you have to pull them apart, think about what those hands look like. They're like bloody and dirty. Oh my God. Alternatively, like, um, you know, would you want to, here, I have a soda and I'm going to put a straw into that soda and I'm going to drink from it and I'm going to hand it to, the, and we're just going to go down the line. Like, who's excited <laughs> about drinking out of this soda all the way to, like, the kinds of internalized, oh my God, the kind of internalized self loathing, fear of my own sexual sexuality, internalized judgment, and all that ends up doing is putting a person in a position where if you want to live a full human life, which does include erotic and sexual experiences, you now have to figure out a way to either totally stifle all that. Or be secretive. Or be secretive. Which is what everyone does. Or, yeah, and or in that secretiveness... Now you're in a position where you've got to get drunk in order to do it because you have to get past your own. You want it so bad, but you can't get past your own internalized fear, uh, self, uh, self-consciousness. Um, well, because if I'm just a soda that's been, I'm, I'm probably not worth that much either. I'm just a soda with a bendy straw. With a bendy straw that what? too many people have drank out of. <laughs> Right. And so I guess I better get drunk because I'm also just like not even that good of a person. I'm just a soda with a bendy straw. So why would you want to be with me? I better have some drinks to like care about this. And now I'm making dangerous decisions. Right? Yes. Like, like dangerous sexual choices. Oh, yes. Um, and then the only other thing that I think I, I totally want to hand this over to you. But before I forget, I think one of the problems is we were trained to credit a person unduly based on their attendance to church. And their Mm -hmm. verbalization that they were a Christian. Because if you're being told that the only person, the only people that you could possibly even be called by God to be with, um, because you have to to be like praying about all these people, even if they are Christians. But if you're being called by God to be with somebody, you're definitely only going to be called 
to be with a Christian. And unfortunately, and I, I know these people didn't ask for this to happen to me, but what that did is my my first major college relationship, my first serious college relationship was with a Christian guy who turned out to be emotionally abusive. Yes. And if I had simply assessed his character aside from him having this, like he goes to a church and he, tell, he, he grew up in um, a Christian high school and has like, you know, purports to be a religious or Christian guy. If I had ignored all of that, you know, You'd maybe I would have been able to see him for who he was. But I gave him all kinds of credit. And that's like a whole separate thing. Because there are there are so many predators, and I call them predators uh, vehemently, mm-hmm. who are out there who know that there are women out there who are Christian and they do believe these things. And mm-hmm. they do live strictly by these rules. And they will go, and they're literally wolves in sheep's clothing. They, will, they will go there with their suits on. They'll pretend to mm-hmm. be whoever they want to be for a few months. Because they're, they're only there for a few months. They'll find that girl or whatever, and then they take them home, marry them in three weeks, and then they're beating them. Yeah, they're just, they're just not this the person that they said they were going to be. This happens all the time. I see it all right. the I mean, time. It's, it's cat- so crazy. It's catfishing. It's so they're crazy. fully catfishing. But like, I, I was talking about my bit of uh, experiences dating as a homosexual Christian, man. I grew up, I grew up uh, very Christian, believing deeply in, 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 the, in the faith and in God, but still knowing I was gay, which is like his whole, it's a whole other layer of craziness because you, you, when you're a heterosexual Christian, sure, you're not supposed to have sex, but you can pray it off. You're not supposed to do this and that, but you can still pray it off. When you're gay, mm. the word abomination, Abom- oh, that stamp, God. abomination, mm. just really just takes everything out. You can't pray it off. No. You can't pray it off. If, no. if you, and, it's, and it lends itself to the deepest and darkest of secrets. Absolutely. The deepest and darkest which of secrets. Which are dangerous. Which are so dangerous. I credit uh, religion with creating AIDS. I credit, mm. I credit religion with creating the rampant drug abuse that young gay teens go to, especially mm. Christian gay teens, uh, because there's such a darkness. There's such a secret. There's so, there's such a mania. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it, it, it always shocks me because there's so, because it's, homosexuality is so rampant in a lot of churches. Mm. A lot of these young guys and the older guys and the ministers and the deacons, they're gay or, or they're, or they're sexually abusing these young boys mm. from a very young age. And mm. it, and it, it confuses you so deeply mm. because you're having these feelings. And then these people who are telling you that, that these feelings are bad mm-hmm. are, 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 you. are abusing you. Yeah. So then, and so that becomes a secret of, Oh, you can't tell anyone because this is a, this is a shameful thing. And then if you have natural friends, Oh, it's a shame. It's, it's shame, 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 shame so you start ha- having all these secrets you start having the, these secret sexual es- uh, these se- secret sexual esca- escapades with people who you don't even know right. and then you contract because well, you have to not, you, you have to not know them you have to not know because them because it all has to be really secret it all has to has to, to, to be secret and it just creates this whole dark seedy disgusting world or alternatively of, you do know them as what you've been describing where there's predators and there's abusers and then it becomes even additional layers of, sh- of shame and, and just creates this whole crazy world. I mean, it's, it's just insane. So uh, one of my experiences uh, dating while Christian, I actually, uh, I knew I was gay from the, from the time I was very, very young, but I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be. I prayed every day that God would uh, cleanse me of my homosexual spirit and then immediately kill me so that I can go to heaven. <gasps> 
literally every day so one day um i was just like you know what maybe if i started dating a girl then it'll just change like i can just date a girl and then have sex with her and then Mm -hmm. i'll magically not be gay anymore because vagina it will cure me yes (laughs) well and vaginas are magical they that's not what we do so my so the vagina will cure me so i had this uh this friend who uh who i knew for a couple of years we worked together at this movie theater really beautiful girl she was a model just just the, the best of, of, of persons, right? And a really good friend of mine. So I convinced her to fall in love with me. I seduced her because, you know, I, I'm a seductive uh, yes, kind of kind of figure. I can I can turn it power. on. I, I can I can turn it on. So I seduced her and we and she fell in love with me. And we were together for a year. And I didn't and I never and I wasn't with men during this time because I really was focused on yeah. not being gay. But from the moment we first linked mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. say that mm-hmm. I knew oh, okay this isn't gonna help anything nope and I nope. hated it still gay I, I st- st- still, gay. still gay so I hated it every time we linked mm-hmm. it, it felt wrong I mm-hmm. felt wrong I felt dirty it sure. was just and it wasn't that that the that the experience was bad it's like I just felt terrible yeah. every time so the saving grace of it all was because I was still very involved in, in church. I got her involved in church and she actually found her salvation there. She actually found a connection with, with God there. And she's actually still heavily involved in church. She found her husband there. And so, so that there, there's a whole thing. So this, so it worked out great, worked for, out great for her. Worked out great for, for her and for me too. And beca- for you because too. I realized, oh, okay, well, since this isn't going to work, I'm just going to come out because I can't live like this. Exactly. Because <laughs> I can't yeah. live like this. And and the yeah. one of the experiences that really helped me to uh, – so that – coupled with another experience really helped me to realize that I am gay and mm-hmm. I'm just going to be that because I'm not going to live this secret life where I'm doing mm-hmm. all these weird seedy things yeah. and, and and I'm ashamed of who I am. No, no. So uh, I was talking to one of my great uncles who everyone knows he's gay. Okay. Even before I ever met him, I knew he was gay. He he was actually imprisoned for uh for uh molesting a 16-year-old boy when he was in his I don't know, late 20s or something like that, something crazy or like 30s. I don't know. So I had never met him until I was maybe 20 something, I don't oh. know, because he was in prison my, right. my 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 whole life and I always knew. So one day, uh, I'm over at at his place and we're talking and, and we're just connecting. I'm getting to know him and he uh, so then I become his sort of like like uh, 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 his sort of gay chaperone right we would go out to the bars we would go out to uh, Ferndale Michigan shout out to Ferndale and I, and we would go out <laughs> to all the bars and go and hit and hit the hit the scene and he would go oh just don't tell the the the, uh, the family that I'm gay and I said what what do you think we don't know you're gay <gasps> And then he's like, what? And I'm like, Uncle Kelsey. Oh. Well, well, there we go. It's, it's, it's my great Uncle Kelsey. I'm like, Uncle Kelsey. Hi, <laughs> uh, Uncle Kelsey. I'm like, Uncle Kelsey, I, from the time I was born, I've known you were gay. I've heard this. You you, you were in prison for molesting a young boy. <laughs> I, I, I'm very blunt, okay? So I, I literally said this. I'm like, you went to prison for molesting a young boy. Like, we all know you're gay. And Like, what are you talking about? He goes... Oh, so then it was just the most bizarre conversation. I thought, you know, I'm not going to be this person. No, there's no way I could be this person. No, and I think the thing, if if I, even if you believe that the best version of 
a married or committed relationship is one where no one's had sexual experiences up until that point, including uh, the weight, the heaviness of God, of hell, of um, just like damnation of sin, including that weight is not helpful. No. It's just not helpful. Uh, so if it, if, even if, you know, that's the belief in your family, I, I would just strongly encourage anybody who's, you know, got middle schoolers moving into high school, um, you know, the average age of first sexual interaction in America is actually lower, uh, younger than the average age of first sexual encounter in like larger European countries. Esther Perel is a really incredible speaker um, and author and psychiatrist and therapist and Actually, I think she's a psychologist. I don't believe she prescribes anything. Um, so <clears throat> there's great TED Talks, and she has really wonderful books. Um, she also has a really good podcast. But she talks a lot about the difference in, and she's multinational. She's like quatrilingual. I think she speaks like six or seven Polyglot. Polyglot, thank you. She's a polyglot. So she has a lot of really interesting perspective of these different cultures and these different cultures' um, perspectives on sexuality. Um, and she talks about in one of her podcasts I listened to recently that in European countries and larger European countries, you emphasize that all of the young, you know, all of your youthful relationships are practice for your adult relationships. Mm. And so one of the things you will practice is, is sex and you will practice that the way to make sure you're safe while you practice is to wear condoms. And so instead of this like hard hammer of no sex, no sex, no sex, abstinence hammer, which we know through very reasonable, reasonable research doesn't work like abstinence only education, sex education does not lower teen pregnancy rates like it doesn't lower STD contraction. But we do know that a a fully informed, you know, uh, prevention focused uh, education around sex and sexuality can reduce those numbers. And so their emphasis is on, yeah, you're going to practice this and you're going to and this and practice it safely, right? Because we we do this other thing where especially as Christians, like I t- I touched on it earlier, we're being we're being asked as as young like teenage and even in our early 20s, you know, this followed me into college, right? I dated this Christian guy when I was 21, 20, mm-hmm. oh, 20 to 21. Um and I and we never slept together. Uh, he, but, but it you know it follows it follows you into that. What it what it ends up doing is we are being asked to repress very normal, very natural, strong ho- hormonal urges to practice for adult relationships, right? So because of all that repression, we then turn to situations like alcohol where we can feel free. We've got but a phone call. But that's dangerous. We have a phone call. We have a phone call. I'm very excited. Hello, you're on the First City Forum with a Joe Williams and Rachel Breithaupt. Oh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong phone number. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Thank you. Bye. What was your experience as a teenager with... Uh, like, <laughs> like, sir, when you... <laughs> oh, my God. Of all our shows so far, I'm like... Oh I was I was waiting oh, for man, that phone call. Oh, gonna man. Call. What's going to happen? And I'm going to get chewed out. Um, wow. So, no, I think we we set kids up in this really destructive and unfortunate and unintentional. I don't think any of the adults in my life were like, Rachel, what we'd like is to give you a, con- a complex that will stop you from feeling comfortable and free in your own skin unless you're drunk mm. with the opposite sex. Because that's also what this does, right? Um, 
you're you're internalizing uh, all kinds of uh, self restriction, self loathing. Um, I'm a straw. Pa- I'm a straw in a coke glass pass you know yeah, pass around can candy. passed around or, or even like those new or uh, bloody com- hands those like new compostable straws that get like soggy what kind of gift <laughs> do you want to give your future husband oh, was also a, a, it was a, a consistent phrasing and i find that abstinence isn't as pushed on men no of course not of course it's not of course it's not as pushed so you on give men. you give your your husband this um this untouched package, and he's sure. like, "Oh, but but for him, it's like, oh, experience is is well, better." And I I I I feel like another thing that we really were misinformed about was in even self pleasuring, which I you know oh, yes. won't get into all of the language right, around that right. on the radio. But if you don't, if you're not even allowed to be with your own body in a way that makes you feel fulfilled sexually, then you don't know who you are. You don't know what you like. You're now leaning on the alcohol, the the random times it is good because it's not good a lot of the time and then it leads to a lot of unfulfilling sexual experiences for the woman absolutely who who never gets to know her body and and never knows to and doesn't have the confidence i guess to to demand what she needs yeah and in reality that's actually some of the safest way to experiment you know like if we were gonna if you're you really still are dead set on um, you know, my kids, my, my child's not going to have sex until they get married, or at least as much as I can stop them, I will stop them. Then please give them an outlet. Like, please make space in in their lives, a, a bedroom they can have or information. You know, like, you, you can do this in the shower. Like, you know, like the, uh. the, the, <laughs> allow for healthy and reasonable self-exploration, because if you don't, where will it go? What right. will you know, so I've always heard of this abstinence-only sex ed, but I so I don't know if this if I received sexual sex ed before this happened. But I or remember, just in a different region or just country, in a different region. I grew it's up state to state. Yeah, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I remember we talked very seriously about condoms, how to put on condoms, what happens when too. each person's aroused, and all the different things. So, we did too. So My we, abstinence-only stuff really only came from church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so like in, in, in public schools, we we were definitely taught uh, about contraceptives and and all the different things in my in my gym teacher who taught the class, Mr. Ford, he was actually... I love that gym teachers... He, he was actually quite graphic. Classes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, um, and, and then... and You know what What kept me hmm. from, from, from getting into too many things too crazily? Hmm. When I was really young, I had an uncle, not the same uncle who, the great who uncle. went to prison for molesting the boy and then thought no one knew he was gay but <laughs> uh, it's actually a very sad story my my um my father's oldest brother was gay mm-hmm. uh, his name was amos and he contracted aids mm. when i was really young and i remember mm-hmm. meeting him when i was uh seven he had already had aids for a long time and he was actually on his way mm. to death mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. So I remember meeting him and my father before we met him, just really explaining what was going on, what it was. Because at that time, there was no chance of survival of AIDS. Oh, you were going to die, right. period. There was no hope. Um, so he told he he explained to my brother Christopher and, and I, like, hey, um, you're going to meet my older brother, Amos. He has AIDS. Um, he And he, he told us where AIDS came from because wow. at, at that time, it was thought that it only came from um, from uh, homosexual relationships 
relationships or from intravenous drug use. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my Uncle Amos was gay. Um, and he said, yeah, he, he's gay and he contracted AIDS. Uh, and this is what AIDS is. Mm-hmm. This is how you contract it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told us all of this because at this point in his virus, he had contract, he had started to show the uh, physical lesions. symptoms, the, the purple yeah. lesions. Um, so he, my dad took a lot of time to explain all of this so that we would not ask my uncle oh. what was going on with him and why he looked the way he looked yeah. um so he was very serious like, like don't don't bring it up don't ask just this is what's going on and there it is uh and then the first thing my brother does he goes uncle amos why do you have so many purple spots oh god <laughs> now, children, now, children now are the was, worst <laughs> children was, are the actual he was worst. like four or five years yeah. old years yeah. old and my dad was furious but my uncle was like no joe because my, my my dad's name is joe like no, Joe, don't be mad. Like no, it's it's fine, it's fine. But he was definitely sad, and you know, it was it was a, it was a thing. So I was I was exposed to that really early on. So I was always very careful in now, my experience. Now, did you did you find a place for yourself in your home church once you came out as homosexual? No, I no. left. I I so. Because there are churches that are working to be like, like the the um, Episcopalians. My church is not that. So okay. uh, so the, my, the the church I grew up in, and I still have a lot. I, I still love and respect all those people. I, I still talk to them. We we're still um, we're we're still close. But I and, and whenever I do go home, I do still visit that church. Mm. Um, but before I came out, I was kind of I won't say over the church, but I was. I didn't feel that connection mm-hmm. with the church body as mm-hmm. much as I did growing up because I was very involved pretty much my entire life. And then by the time I was in my early 20s, I thought, okay, there are some things in this that make sense to me, but there's a lot that just don't. So, sure. I, I, so I thought, you know, I'm going to take the lessons. I'm going to take the the lessons of light and love mm-hmm. and acceptance mm-hmm. and of charity and mm-hmm. of giving mm-hmm. um, and just take that and 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 incorporate that into my life as I have for the last 20 some odd years. But I don't think I'm going to go and, and, and be a part of this experience anymore. So I actually stopped going to church, uh, in my early twenties. Um, and, 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 you know, and I still, but I am grateful for church because it gave me a foundation for just being a good person. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that, um, I'd like to think church did that for me. I, I, it's not a guarantee. I think the, <laughs> I think the problem we have is um, leaning too hard on uh, sort of, I mean, I think you could generalize this to, to institutions, uh, but certainly I, I'm, I'm probably most comfortable to just talk about it in my experience with the Christian church. Mm-hmm. I think what happened to, to me and my dad is an atheist and just never went to church with us. And so there's just sort of like a vow of silence in my house between my parents that you don't talk about it. And my dad would go hiking on Sunday morning and then not come back until like even the smell of church had left the building. And so then nobody had to talk about it. Um, but, but with my mom, I think what we all sort of the problem my mom and I faced was we leaned too hard on the organization, the the institution of religion, and believed maybe too much, gave it maybe too much credit as a, a system of editing for the humans inside. Yes. So there, there's just people inside churches. It's just all humans. Um, just like at a YMCA, 
or um, you know maybe not a bar because there's booze involved there mm-hmm. and addiction. So I'm not going to go so far as to be like, yeah, the same percentage of good versus bads at a bar, but certainly at like um, the, the the library or yeah, organizations like Friends of the Library or Rotary, um, anywhere where people are like, hey, we're all getting together. We'd like to have a purpose with one another. We'd like that purpose to be positive. Mm-hmm. Um, those are groups of people. And in every group of people, I personally think there's a solid range of trustworthy to untrustworthy, of self-aware to unself-aware, of manipulative to straightforward, right? And I'm not convinced uh, that that a religious organization has better numbers than a secular organization that has gathered to say, like Rotary or like Friends of the Library. Exactly. I'm just not convinced they have better numbers. Exactly. And, and, and you know, I have always kind of... Um, uh, been drawn to the belief that every human being has an innate spiritual um, thing. Like we, sure. we, we there's, there, I, there's 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 a, there's a, there's a, spiritu- a hunger, right? There's a spirituality in all of us, and however that is um, sort of curated, however that is sort of molded, mm-hmm. I think religion does a good job of that when at its at its best when it doesn't become weird and culty and we don't involve Just politics overly and think, controlling, you know what I mean? We don't, you know? we don't involve the, the politics, but I think that the basic outline of most religions, they're all the same there. It all talks about giving and charity and love and like even, even Satanism, even Satanism, they all have, yeah. have the same basic outline. So when you follow that basic outline, it just really helps to mold that spirituality that's when, that, that is within everyone. And I don't think you need, re, you need religion in order to do that, no. but, but some people do. Sure. Some people do. And there, there are some people for whom um, they would be, they would literally go out and kill people if they didn't believe that God would punish them. Maybe. You know what I mean? So Maybe. it's like for some people, this is needed. I just think that for me, there came a point where I no longer, that was no longer true. Yeah, I I don't see the use in, um, I guess I just don't see the use in a belief in hell or heaven in any sort of a terribly structured or literal way. Um, because uh, I guess where I end up falling is a secular humanist, um, which it, for me, that means what we have is each other and um, what we have is right now. Mm-hmm. And if any of my rewards or punishments are set for the for the far future or even just not like literally right now, um, I don't feel motivated by that. And I also don't feel like it's really justice. Like if I'm waiting for hell to be the justice for somebody that I think should be punished in this lifetime for what they've done or what they're doing. Um, I I don't feel satisfied by that. So I I do think that there's a lot of um, beautiful traditions in most, I I certainly am not intimately familiar with all religions, but um, I have a decent amount of exposure to Buddhism and to um, Christianity and to Judaism um, is kind of just like throughout my life, the people that I've been close to and the, the, the things I've studied. And within those, yes, I would say the efforts of those organizations and those groups of people that I have been exposed to is very similar. Live a life of kindness and gentleness um, and take care of the poor and underprivileged, you yeah. know, like pretty much period, right? Just love. Yeah. You know, that's really what it all breaks down to is literally love. Mm-hmm. And the problem, of course, is when 
the when individuals are manipulated, their emotions are manipulated, their emotional responses are interpreted for them. So one of the things that I think was really tough in leaving the church for me until until I had a couple really fascinating experiences was that I was very scared I wouldn't feel the same way I, I felt in these worship, right? Mm-hmm. Like like singing. Uh, and praying with groups of people, the power in that communal singing and that communal prayer, I would feel elated. Oh, yes. My I felt energy moving from my toes to my head, and that was described for me as the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That that's what that was, and that because of what we were doing, that's why the Holy Spirit was there, and that proved things to us. It proved that like God agreed with what was being said, that God blessed us, that He like all of that was. We were in line. If everybody had these feelings, do you know where else I've had those feelings? At a Ben Harper concert, and <laughs> yes. it was shocking. I remember I was still kind of in church. I was about twenty four, and I was just starting to leave church, and I went to this Ben. Harper concert and it was at the Greek I was living in LA and um, I was super poor volunteer teacher we got in people gave us tickets I didn't have money for this but we went and there's this incredible Ben Harper song um, that's like I will change the world with these two hands and he has the audience raise their hands up in the sky and sing with him well what do you think flooded my body at that moment. The same feeling of the quote-unquote Holy Spirit, but how that had been interpreted for me as a young child was in this one language. This is God. This is the Holy Spirit. And what it could have been potentially interpreted for me is this is what singing together feels like. This is what community feels like. This is what a focused intention for good feels like. And you could get that a lot of places. Yes, it's it's connection. And, And that's why music is used in most religious Absolutely. services. Absolutely. Because that is what music does. It's, it's literally the, the purpose of the energy is vibrations. And, mm-hmm. and and just from a musical standpoint, we are all vibrations. Everything that exists mm-hmm. is vibration. It's and that's what music is. That's mm-hmm. what sound is. Sound. When I was when I was training my uh, voice to, be, to 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 sing, I've always sang, but when I was actually training and in practicing sure. and focusing, uh, focusing um, I, this is something that you learn. You know, there's just certain frequencies that just hit you in certain places. They're what, what are called chakras. And, yeah. each, and each chakras have, each chakra has a certain frequency. And if you can just make your voice just match that frequency for that person, you can affect them. And, and that's just what, that's what music is. That's what singing is. Um, and singing is a very spiritual act. You know, what? I, I still pray. Yeah. Anytime before I do any show, I always say a little prayer. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I just, I just want people just to get something from this. I want people just to feel something, just to make, just to, to shed off any stress they have for this moment, mm-hmm. and just be involved and just feel. I don't I know. I want to get in something bigger than me. You know what I mean? I want to get out of this tiny little spot that I've got. So there's this lovely short story that was relayed to me, but I haven't read it because it's in Spanish and my language is one, unfortunately. <laughs> but my very good friend, Tully Winnegar, also a polyglot, she was uh, left me this message and she was talking about um, this, this short story she had read, uh, which likened uh, an individual's life to being inside of a clear brick Mm. and that we are in each other's lives in this world like clear bricks stacked one on top of the 
the other. And there's some amount of choice and movement possible, but it's it's honestly quite limited in this in this in this brick. And you can see out, but reaching out and getting into somebody else's brick, it takes so much energy. It's really it's really quite difficult, which is why we so frequently feel isolated um, and and not certain if it's our fault. Uh, and exhausted at the effort of trying to connect and 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 still longing to because we can see each other but we just can't get there and so when we can transcend that experience that sense of transcendence oh what satisfaction you know what fulfillment what satisfaction and what fulfillment and and at its core i think that is what religion was supposed to be certainly i feel like it's the it is the outgrowth of people trying to describe what they need we have one more call, and I think it'll be our last call before we get out of here. One moment, one moment, one moment. Hello, you're on the First City Forum with Joe Williams and Rachel Brayhaup. Um, I have the wrong number. I'm sorry. What's ah! happening again? No you're way. Right. You're number two. You're number two. You're number two. That is amazing. Uh, that has literally never happened on a show before. No, and this time it two twice. wrong numbers. I'm just sassy. It's like this is the show we thought people would call. I thought you. Okay, well, you know what? Maybe that's a sign. You know what? So I, I just want to leave. Uh, yeah. Just, just saying that we're, we're not like dogging, re- no. dogging Christianity or dogging no. religion. I feel that is very useful and it's definitely informed me as a person. Uh, it's just so. It's just to. Just to live in love. And so many incredibly intelligent philosophers, huge thinkers throughout history have been religious people. Well, so to science- completely discount those individuals. Yeah. And certainly there was a period like Michelangelo, right? There was a period of time where being religious and being a scientist, there was no conflict. Well, science started no out as just the the human attempt to understand more of God's world be- sure. before things were before kind of flipped and they got politicized yeah. and then scientists were being burned. So it's like a whole thing. There's mm-hmm. like a whole mm-hmm. era of, mm-hmm. of stuff that happened. Right. So, you know, so it's, so at its core, religion is just I, I I I personally enjoy it for what its purity is. But when it gets into the 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 the, the craziness and the political side of it, when I just, it gets into like we know what's right because exactly. God talks to us and not you, and then I'm and, like, then, and nah, then when it gets dogmatic, you know, I don't think God you know talks where, to you. Where where I fell off from it was when. I would have Buddhist friends. I would have yeah. Muslim friends. Yeah. And I would have all these different friends who grew up their whole lives just as I grew up Christian. And I would have fellow Christians say, oh, these people, unless unless you unless you convert them, they're going to go to hell. And I just thought, um, that's not going to happen. Man, same, Joe, that's same. Just not my, my first really good gay friend in college, I remember being like, Lee, you are one of the nicest, best, best people I've ever met. You're not going to hell. No. My very good friend, Tanya Winnegar, who told me that he relayed the story about the bricks, the polyglot, grew up day one Jewish. She's like like old family Jewish, like Jewish from the friggin' like survived the camps, Jewish mm-hmm. family history. And I remember uh, in my early 20s having her say, Rachel, if, if do you think I have a Jesus shaped hole in me? Do you think that about me? And I was like, oh, absolutely not. No, you are far more fully formed than I am. Like, no, she's like, well, then, Rach, here's the thing. That's that's a problem, right? If like if you ascribe to an organization and that's one of their foundational tenets and you don't think that, well, that's a problem. Exactly. So, you know, what? I'm going to end the show by mm-hmm. saying, you know what? 
let's just love each other. Love each other, y'all. Let's just love each other because we other. are all one and we're all in this wear a crazy condom. world together. You don't need to be <laughs> drunk to do it, kid. <laughs> and wear a condom. And figure out what, what feels good when you're alone in your own bed because that's you and you holy. And guess what? And I would say wear, wear a, a condom because hell might not burn you, but syphilis will. It will. <laughs> so. It will. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the First City Forum brought to you by Providence Properties in Southeast Alaska Orthopedics. And do not miss the basketball games. Uh, we have one today at uh, 245 uh, and at 430. The girls are playing at 245. The boys are playing at 430. I'll be on the boards tonight. I'm very excited. So I'm going to go run to the gym and get back here before I have to be um, on the boards for that. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Once again, uh, this show is brought to you by Providence Properties in Southeast Alaska Orthopedics. And um, I will be back in a few hours. Bye. Bye. <laughs>